Hello, and welcome to Dice Try, the RPG and storytelling podcast. I am your host, Daniel Schaub. Hello, and welcome back to our new episode of Dice Try. My name is Daniel Schaub. I am your host and GM, and I have here a full complement of all my players, plus our audio engineer. Let's start with Earl Kim. Hello, hello. Crystal Llewellyn. Hello, hello. And of course, Paul Dixon. Hello. And then finally, out of the woodwork, back from his mission in the far reaches of space, GTM. If far reaches of space means uh, Santa Monica, then yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. GTM stands for... Grand Torino Motorman. Do you have a list of them now? I see you referencing something. No. <laughs> I don't have a specific GTM document. That was good. It was good. Just like think we know whenever you think of them, just like randomly, you should like write them down. Yeah. Because they'll come to you. No, literally, I was putting the timer on my phone. That was all improv, baby. Yeah, that's improv. <laughs> Made like a spreadsheet. GTM spreadsheet. Yeah, because I'm definitely going to start repeating myself yeah. after a while, <laughs> which I think I've already done. We just had Thanksgiving recently as we recorded this. So let's go around the horn and ask some questions because I haven't asked you guys questions in a little while. Let's start at Paul. Paul, what's your favorite side dish at Thanksgiving? Side dish. Um, mac and cheese. Mac and, and cheese. Yeah, that's that's got to be it. I mean, stuffing's good with the gravy, mashed potatoes uh-huh. and all that. But mac and cheese, you just can't beat it. Earl, if you're not going to have turkey for Thanksgiving... Okay, what I don't know. I feel like that's not a fair question. I, I mean, not to me, but like I'm Korean, so it's rare that we had turkey <laughs> like for Thanksgiving. My mom, like mm-hmm. this year, <laughs> shit you not, called my parents on Thanksgiving and my dad's fucking eating kalbi. Like, and my dad's like, he's like, I woke up this morning and I told your mom I didn't want, ka- I don't, I don't want turkey. She's like, good, because we didn't get any. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, my family's taken Thanksgiving in a very sort of like figurative sense as in like, it's a meal where the family's going to get together and we're going to be thankful about shit. Like we don't have to eat your stupid turkeys. We're America and this is our tradition now. I mean, but there are also then times Fair. when my mom is like, I am a goddamn pilgrim who came here on the Mayflower. Like, <laughs> and she'll be like, I, I made, I made turkey. I stuffed it. You know, like there was one time where we had fam, like my, um, a lot of extended family came over and I think she was just trying to like flex a bit, but it was like, she did a full turkey. She did a ham and then she did like a, a beef, like, like a beef rib roast as well. I mean, there were like 20 some people, there was a lot of people. So it, it worked out with the food, but like sometimes she will just be like, we are so American. We are going to outdo being American. <laughs> but then there's always a side dish of kimchi. I mean, that sounds delicious to me. So like, I mean, I, I like all the, all the meats, as long as it means that we're having a good meal and, and, and being thankful. Like, I wish we would have done something like that kind of, because I was standing in line at Boston market for over an hour and a half. Oh no. Uh, Damn! It was brutal. An hour it was so brutal. Half. And I was in the shorter line. I was in the pre-order line. Whoa! Damn! It was, it's always oh. like that, though. I feel like for Boston Market around Thanksgiving, it's like always. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. That's true. Oh, it, it's so fun to watch people though that don't understand what's happening. <laughs> you know, like they go up and they're like, "Is this the line for for ordering?" And and they're like, "No, no, this is pre-order." 
uh, the longer line is for <laughs> ordering. And they're just like, ah, what? What do, I, what do I do? <laughs> you know, like, do I go back to my car or to jump off a cliff? Yeah. What do I do? I just woke up and started cooking it like that. Like the morning on yeah. on Thanksgiving, our our household had multiple Thanksgivings because Kate and Krista went to the went went to Krista's parents, mm-hmm. and, and it was for a while. It was just me, and it was me and Glenn, and I was making like a whole turkey, and then I was doing all this other stuff, and I was like, "People are coming. They're coming. They're coming. Back. <laughs> other people are going to eat this. I'm not just doing. I'm not just doing this for for myself. We had two things." Which is the best thing. My roommate and I made a 12 pound turkey and like three pounds of mashed potatoes. Yeah. Two boxes of stuffing. And I mean, you got leftovers. You had leftovers though, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Like, why the fuck not? Like, then you can have Thanksgiving for a whole week. That's my favorite thing. Like, why not have so much food and then have Thanksgiving for an entire week? And the sandwiches. Turkey sandwiches. Mm -hmm. We had, we, we had, uh, we had Hawaiian bread left. We had little Hawaiian rolls left over. And so we, we, we were using those to make leftover sandwiches and it's just. I'm going to have a turkey sandwich tonight. I got a little bit of turkey left. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Previously, our investigators faced off against the spear of Washington Martell and defeated him. As Martell's body crumbled into ash, the overwhelming stillness of new Nazareth plantation lifted as if some eerie presence had disappeared. On the way back to the hotel, the characters ran into some of the groundskeepers and questioned them about the goings-on in New Nazareth. One of the key items brought up in conversation was that the groundskeepers are instructed not to go out immediately after dark, but to wait a couple of hours after the sun has set. The reasoning being that something lurks in New Nazareth shortly after sundown. We come back to our story with the characters having spent the night back at the hotel. And here's a little introduction. During the Civil War, New Nazareth and its owners did not take a side in the conflict, feeling that they were too religious for a bloody conflict between brethren. At least that was the public face they put on it. Privately, like so many conflicts before, the Martell family was attempting to play both sides and offered assistance to both the Union and Confederates, just as long as they didn't provide soldiers. This compromise didn't prove satisfactory to either side of the conflict, and the plantation was raided numerous times during the Civil War by both sides for food, horses, supplies, etc. The longest siege was from a group of Union fighters akin to guerrilla warfare who would hide out in the hills and continually steal from the plantation to ensure that the Confederates could not get their hands on any of the supplies. When it eventually became too tense between the locals and Union soldiers, many of the plantation workers took refuge underground. Very few stayed above ground or on their own land. Once the land had essentially become abandoned, the Union soldiers ran rampant across the region for a full fortnight. At the end of the two weeks, the Union soldiers disappeared, and no one knows quite how or why. So we're going to leave behind Los Angeles and we're going back into the story of the Black Patch. We're going back into Western Kentucky, 1908. Mid-November, you wake up after a very lovely day. It is now a very crisp, cold morning. So cold, in fact, that you can actually feel the chill against your skin, even buried beneath blankets and quilts. You're awakened, one, by the cold, but two, by the sound of voices from across the street. And when you look up out of your windows, you see a group of men 
gathered in front of the barber shop, having quite a loud conversation with each other. And there's quite a bit of, well, we need to go look for this person or we need to go find him. He may be hurt. And from what you can tell, it sounds like they're talking about Washington Martell. Okay. Uh, from my listening, do I know... Are they talking about finding? No, they, they, it sounds like they don't know where he is. And it, it sounds like they might be forming a posse to go look for him. It doesn't seem like anyone's discovered. The discussion they're having is not about that, but you don't know if that means if they did or did not discover the bodies. Okay. You know that that factory is not really in use right now okay. because they're not selling tobacco, but. Uh, I'm going to get dressed uh, real quickly and then uh, go try and see if uh, anyone's downstairs. Uh, As soon as I like hear the commotion, I just get dressed and gather my things to go downstairs. I figure we should just go on our merry way, you know? Yeah, I'll meet them downstairs too, right? So you all reconvene at the bottom of the steps and the doors to the hotel are still closed. Like Elizabeth Danton hasn't come down to do her normal thing of like opening up the doors and everything can we check on elizabeth yes you looking at her she's just deep asleep good sleep or bad sleep good sleep okay no no nightmares i think she maybe like needed some sleep that uh she didn't get in the past like she's catching up she's catching up on some years exactly (laughs) okay if i look out like are they on the move are they still growing is the mob of people are they getting weird or they are, um, they're not getting weird or anything. You can tell that several of them have like brought their rifles or shotguns or whatever. And you can see that the people kind of cycle in a circle where they go talk to the barber, almost as if the barber's kind of leading this, but he's speaking the most quietly about it. Huh. Um, is someone like, are they going in like quiet and then coming out like, Wah! like, is it like, like speaking to the barber is, is, is inciting um the the citizenry so the way they talk to each other is like you know lads talking to each other like big and boisterous but when go to the barber and talk to him you see that their tone of voice changes completely almost as if they have some sort of reverence for him but you don't understand why okay i'm going to search for a back door okay so after digging around a little bit you go into the back hallways and the servants' quarters that were attached to the back of the manor house that this hotel used to be are blocked off normally, but you can actually finagle a lock and get out and basically go out through the servants' quarters. Great. Um, I'm going to uh, uh, write a quick note um, on a whatever piece of paper is handy uh, and just let Mm-hmm. Uh, dear Ms. Danton, we had to take the back mm-hmm. exit because reasons. Hope you don't mind the Keller house <laughs> and share plus sheriff. And then I just sort of flip it under her door. <laughs> also, we didn't like open like a weird body closet or something, right? It's not like a, <laughs> these servants quarters have been, have been shut off because of demons. Uh, no, actually. But when you do open the door, these servants quarters at the back of the building are all brick. Uh, and you do see old scorch, scorch marks up the wall from when this building was ransacked and burned in the past. Okay. 
So there's evidence, but there aren't ghosts. Nothing seems attached. Do I, do I feel anything weird going through here? Uh, no, but as you're walking through towards the back door, you do see that this room has been occupied sometime oh. in the recent past. There appears to be a card table sitting in the middle of the room. And you can see ring stains from like people putting down drinks and stuff like that. And looking around, there are like discarded peanut shells and things of that nature. Looks like somebody uses it for their like private poker games or something. Okay. All right. I'll tuck that away in my brain somewhere. Uh, Sheriff, I don't know. Illegal gambling. I don't know what's happening, but uh, (laughs) unlock the outer door. Okay. And you, it's locked, but the wood is soft enough you you can basically just pull it out and exit out behind the uh, hotel oh okay when we met the barber like when we were outside the barbers the first time when we saw him we actually see him um i don't think i actually described what he looked like um the sheriff would probably know his name his name is earl bombach he's an older white gentleman with a, a shaved head but a very large curly mustache He's lived in this region his entire life. And you know him as like a guy who has a sympathetic ear who likes to just talk when you go in to get your shave or haircut or whatever. He's a good listener. Yeah. Oh, that's probably all that you know about him. That's the only thing he's good at. I was going to say, do you want me to explain that to him or does he get the gist or do I need to uh, you can just say that him? you told him what i told you <laughs> so uh that'd be earl balmack he's a pretty nice fellow he likes to listen your ear off if you know what i mean is he uh he a close associate of the martells i'd imagine he does know him he's lived in the plantation his whole life i see and when you come out of the hotel, you actually enter into a little community garden that also has some chicken coops as well. Are there any vegetables I can swipe? Uh, <laughs> it's probably too late in the year if it's mid-November. Okay. Are there chickens? Uh, yes, there are. Shit gets weird. I'm just going to have to sacrifice a chicken and let a demon take over me so we can... Uh... You know, the usual. <laughs> the usual. And then you were going to visit the Wild Sisters, correct? Yes. To the, to the caverns. So... The Wild Sisters run the bunkhouses, which are for the unmarried men and women. Oh, yeah. Basically apartment complexes where all these workers who aren't married lived together. Communally. So you talk it's um, Smash City. Uh, it is segregated by gender. Oh. Uh, um, so still Smash City. <laughs> but, so she's like the RA. Uh, Sheriff, you know that the bunkhouses are run by twin sisters. The male bunkhouse is run by Gail Wild, and then the female bunkhouse is run by her sister, Dorothy. I'm not going to remember all that. So whichever one you would prefer to talk to, as far as you know, Dorothy is the nicer one and Gail is the more strict one. I want to talk to Dorothy. Thin partition walls form eight foot by six foot rooms that are decorated with simple but homey furnishings, a single bed, leather trunk, and small table with basin. Front of the bunkhouse is a desk and small office that leads into the house mother's bedroom, the house mother being Dorothy Wilde. And when you enter inside, uh, you see a woman who's in her, you would probably guess late 50s, but she still looks quite good for her age and you can probably imagine that men probably pursued her quite openly because of her looks but as far as you know sheriff she is still single 
And uh, Sheriff, when you and the others enter, she takes a moment. She probably has not met you before, but she takes a moment to study your badge. And she's like, well, how can I help you, Sheriff? Well, my friends in here have uh, been doing some uh, investigation and had some questions for you. Well, I will help you out as much as I can. Is there something wrong? No, ma'am. If you could just cooperate, uh, it won't take long. Okay, what kind of questions did you have? Questions are mainly pertaining to your knowledge of the cave system and caverns that exist below and on the outskirts of this town. Uh, You'll have to forgive me, my memory's a bit foggy. That was so long ago when I was just a child when it happened. What, uh, What would you like to know? I'm sorry, what happened? Back during the Civil War, our family went to hide underground we had to stay there for so long that the oil ran out in the lanterns. And I remember that my father had to go out crawling back out on his hands and knees to try and find his way to the light to bring us back more oil from the lantern. Our main questions are pertaining to the, the layout and uh, geography uh, down there. I bring out some paper <laughs> and, a, and a pen. So we, we, saw, uh, we saw this one entrance. You saw one entrance of the cave, yeah. But... We're aware that there are many tunnels and passages. Um, are you aware of this entrance? Um, I'm aware of a few. Uh, the main one that we actually use used to be hidden here in the, in the city. There's one, they built the fountain over top of it to close it up. And then the other was down in the basement of the old granary. Take some notes. Um, now, if we were to enter... Uh, the the granary basement entrance from your memory what would that cavern open like what would that cavern look like do you know where it would lead so she's like taking a moment to and you can see in her eyes that she's actually like going back through the memory when you go down the stairs into the basement you walk and halfway across the room there's a thick wooden beam on your left side the boards attached to the beam to the left of that can actually be pushed aside. And it, there's an entrance to a cave with a, a drop. It seems so far down, but I've not been there in such a long time. It could only be five feet. It could be 50. You drop down into the cave system and it's below here in New Nazareth. There was a very large cavern nearby, but we did not stray too far from where we had entered. Now, during your time uh, underneath, forgive me if this sounds strange, but did you ever see anything or feel anything? I remember when the lights went out and my father went crawling out on his hands and knees to fetch a small oil for the lantern. I figured it was just a trick of the cave, you know, sounds bouncing off the walls, but I swore that I could hear something moving deeper down beneath the earth. Sounded like tortured voices. Maeve, do you have a vial of the, um, ooh. Yes. <laughs> that we could show. Um, so I pull that out. I also pull out, because we have the, the map of the cave systems, too. Mm. Oh, yes. To, that I want to, like. Oh, I totally forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should, we should compare, like, let her see if, 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 if any of that makes sense. So I hand those to you. And to- Thank you. Thank you. She takes a minute to look at the ooze and she's like, I do not recognize what this is. Um, I'm sorry. And then she 
you actually have to unroll the map of the cave because it's so large. And she's like, this is much more detailed than the knowledge I have of the cave system around here. Would you be able to point out... Uh, also, can I check if she's lying about the ooze? Uh, yeah, go ahead and do insight for me, which is four. 11, 12, 7, 2. Um, she is not being untruthful. Okay. Um, but I would say that uh, like this line of questioning is making her... A little uncomfortable. You're not sure if it's, you know, a pretty painful memory from her childhood that yeah. she's talking about being trapped in the mm-hmm. dark in a cave for, you know, two weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to point out on the map? Because uh, we've been able to figure out, like I point out, like where we entered. Yeah. So you kind of use landmarks to help establish the entrance. She kind of marks the entrance underneath the granary. And then she marks what used to be the entrance in the middle of town that is now covered by a fountain. Was there anything else I could help you with? What do you know about the Martells? I mean, aside from them being like, you know, the owners of this town and all that, is is there any strange sort of goings on with them? I'm sure that you've seen most things that happen in this town. Yes, I've known the Martells for a very long time. I know the mother, Veronica, very closely, and uh, I helped uh, console her when the daughter, Lee, died. How did, how did she die? Uh, she died from a mysterious disease when she was very young. A mysterious disease, you say? Yes. Uh, quite unfortunate. It came about and she was not all of six years old when she passed away. Well, that's so unfortunate. Mysterious disease how? Uh, mysterious is in the symptoms or? I do not know much of the details. I do know that she became quite sick very rapidly and she suffered from fever among other things, and coughing fits, and could not catch a breath. Thank you for that information. You're welcome. Thank you so much for your your time and your patience and your information. Oh, you're most welcome. And uh, Sheriff, she takes your hand and like pats it very gently. I was so sorry to hear about your recent divorce. I hope that you're doing well. I've, I'm doing great. Life's those your curse balls. You just you just keep. Uh, Swinging, you know. Well, I'm glad to see that you're doing all right, Sheriff. But if you need anyone to talk to, I'm around. I pat her on the hand. It's my kind of you. We were also hoping to speak to your sister. Oh, she would be down at the mail bunkhouse. I see. Thank you very much. So you step outside and start waking, making your way towards the mail bunkhouse. I was just going to ask her about the same questions, see if she remembers anything more. Yeah, I I would like to focus more on trying to pay attention to to her reactions. Yeah. Um, and then also just sort of, I don't know, asking things that maybe we already have answers to to just see if they're lying to us. Okay, so you make your way to the male bunkhouse and like the female bunkhouse, it is formerly a warehouse space that has been converted into this living quarters for the unmarried men of New Nazareth. But unlike the female bunkhouse where there are separate rooms for everybody, just one singular wall splits the building in half from the reception area at front, from the back of the bunkhouse and behind that wall, bunk beds run all the way down with a singular bathroom at the back of the room. And off to the side of this reception area, there's a walled off little room slash office for the house mother to live in. And as you enter, you see Gail Wild 
who you're actually sort of surprised that people call her your twin sister because, well, Dorothy still looks young and vivacious for her 50-some years of age. Gail definitely carries those years upon her face. She looks much older, sun-weathered, and put upon might be the best word. But she also does deal with a rowdier crowd here in the male bunkhouse. And as you enter, Gail barely gives you the time of day. Which is sort of while she's writing something in a journal, just the top of her eyes turns to look up at you. And she says, how can I help you? Wow. I feel like I'm deja vu. (laughs) It's very funny. Uh, Yeah, uh, we we just had some questions for you, ma'am. What kind of questions? Uh, Most of them are uh, actually pertaining to your time in the caverns. It's a very long time ago. True. Um, we're currently just doing some investigation and research to the, the cavern system underneath the town. And we were just hoping if you would be able to tell us of some of your experiences down there. Well, I, all I remember much is that when daddy grabbed me and my sister, drug us down to the granary and shoved us down into a hole where we were supposed to hide. And at one point the lights went out and he just ran away saying that he was going to go find oil for the lamp, but he didn't come back and Dorothy was just crying. So then I had to take her by the hand and lead her out myself. During your time underground, did you ever hear things or experience things that you might not be able to explain or even see things? When you ask that question, can you go ahead and do insight plus scribe for me? So seven. Okay. Seven, seven, eleven, and uh, six, five, eight. When you ask her that question, you first see a look flash across her eyes as if like, oh, shit, he knows almost. Mm-hmm. And then as you're staring at her, there's this reverberating aura coming off of her. Mm-hmm. And you start to get the idea that Gail might actually have some magic within her. She might not even know about it, huh. but she, there's something vaguely magical about her. Something's happening like in her right now. No, it's just like no. a response to that stimulus of like being faced with this question. Okay. Uh, so which, it's almost like she like hackle or like, like she's gotten goosebumps or something like magical yeah. goosebumps. That's a, that's a really good way to put it is like, it's magical goosebumps basically. Huh. And she takes a moment and she's like, no, I didn't hear anything. Uh, can I press a little harder? Like, uh, nothing at all. Uh, your sister mentioned, uh, heard some unexplainable noises once, uh, the cabin became dark. Can you roll curiosity, which is three for me? Three. Uh, one, three, eleven. You're approaching this in a very calm way, not to get her upset, having seen that her magical goosebumps, as it were. But uh, she like leans in to all of you and she says, I think somebody died down there. I I don't know who it was further along in the caverns, but Dorothy said she could hear it echoing from far away. But to me, it sounded like it was right behind my ear. Did this voice say anything to you? No, it was it was just screams. That must have been very frightening. And she like doesn't respond. She's just like staring off thinking about this memory now. Have you told anyone about these screams? A a long time ago, 
I talked to Brett Martell about it when all them Union soldiers disappeared and people went missing and stuff like that. I thought maybe the Union soldiers had killed some people or something like that, but he, he said not to ask. Were you and Brett Martell close? We've been friends for a long time. Is there anything to that? <laughs> is there, can I, can I, uh, uh no, uh, with your insight, she's not lying. They are okay. just friends and you're definitely getting a vibe from Gail, especially since she's not married or anything. And, uh, she's probably celibate. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. You hear things often. Uh, go ahead and roll another curiosity <laughs> for me. Nine, three, eight. So this time she's just whispering to you. And she says, a long time ago, Dorothy was going to get married. And I went to talk to her fiance, explaining to him that that was a bad idea. Dorothy is a free living woman, if you know what I mean. And I could hear a voice speaking to me as I spoke to him, telling me what to say. And then after we finished that conversation, he walked out the door and nobody ever saw him again. Since then, have you... Heard that voice again? Only very rarely. I believe you you know that you may have a a connection to to something bigger. I, I, I talked about it to a doctor once, but he tried to put me on medication for it. Yes, and they will. It won't help. And sometimes it makes things worse. But you aren't afflicted. You have a gift. And she hasn't like even cracked a smile. Like when the sheriff made his joke at the very beginning, she instantly went into a frown. <laughs> just like the corner of her mouth doesn't turn up into a smile. It just turns from a frown into like a flat line. It may not seem like it, but it is a gift. Thank you. And as you step outside, you come out of the bunkhouse, which is directly to the west of the barber shop. You're far enough away that they're not paying attention to you guys, but you see that men are actually mounting up on their horses and they're riding out of town. Huh. They seem to have not pieced together that the ashes that are in the factory used to be Washington Martel. Right. But they're looking around for him. Okay. Can I get somewhere uh, where I'm not like, I just want to like duck around a corner and I'm going to try and uh, call a, a raven or a crow if there's, if there's a burb around. Uh, sure. Can you roll endearing plus animal comedian? All righty. So five. Seven, 12, 12, five, three. Okay. A raven doesn't come around, but a goldfinch upon one of the eaves like looks down at you. This is like a little nod. And to you guys, it just looked like uh, Charles and a bird are staring at each other. But then the goldfinch squawks to your guys' ears, but to Charles's ears. Hello. Hello. I need your assistance, friend. Sure. Can you please follow those men on the horses and tell me where they go? Oh, sure. Sure. I can do that. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I look at, I look at Maeve. Maeve, do you have any seeds? Oh, yeah, yeah. Here you go. I got a pocket full of sunflower uh, seeds. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Goldfish nimbles some seeds out of your palm. There'll be more uh, when you return. Oh, perfect, perfect. I'll be right back. And then flutters off following the men on horseback. I have like some protection, like amulets or, or like little herb things. I'm just going to 
you know, before we go into anywhere, let's just, you guys wear these. A bundle of herbs and I just stuff it yeah. in my pocket. So it's just a little sachet of like yeah. dried tobacco and like iron filings and salt and purifying things like that that you can wear in a little pouch around your neck. Yeah. You make your way north from the Woodquarters Storage, which is a big building where they keep all the chopped wood. Uh, across the street from that is the granary. So the granary is a large abandoned building on the outskirts that at one point had been used to process the wheat fields surrounding New Nazareth, but has sat unused for many years. The skeletal arms of a windmill extend over the roof of the granary, the sails long shorn off. And as you look in through the shattered windows, you can see the last sacks of grain have rotted away, leaving behind an unpleasant smell. You can obviously tell that the granary is now the home of large rats that even cats couldn't kill. Dang. All right. And this is what the sheriff knows. Back in the day, before grain could be carted or delivered in by train, New Nazareth would grow and grind its own grain. But as grain became readily more available from other sources, the plantation came upon the decision whether or not to keep the granary open. While it did provide several jobs to members of the community in order to compete with flour being brought in, several workers were killed in accidents caused by exhaustion. And the problems compounded from there, resulting in even more workers' deaths. Oh, God. And finally, the granary was shut down partially for the protection of the workers and to transform grain fields into tobacco fields. How, how much before was that from now? Uh, that probably would have been about shortly after the Civil War, so like 1870s, about 30 years from now. And uh, the door is unlocked. It, when you go inside, the building is in horrible disrepair. The wood floor has been rotted through in a lot of different places. You can see that probably kids have been hanging out in here when they get the chance. So it's discarded littering basically all around. Broken bottles, discarded cigarettes and uh, cigars as well. The room, even though it's very large, is mostly empty uh, aside from the grain that has rotted away into kind of this black mash on the floor. Gross. I'm imagining it's like a latch hatch thing that goes down. Yeah, it's actually pretty easy to find. It's in the middle of the room and when you actually pull on it, the ring that's uh, stuck into the wood just yanks out of the rotted wood. So you have to kind of take your knife and stick it into the edge of the doorway in order to flip it open. Mm -hmm. Pry it up. All right. Uh, I open it do we have any light? Can I just take like, can I just like make a, a makeshift torch out of a bundle of tobacco? Yeah, that's fine. Oh, that's probably smart, actually. Out, out of all of my pouches, I just like pull up a thing. I like wrap some leather around the handle of it. <laughs> like douse it a little bit with some like fuel and then take my, my little flint and just, here we go. And when you stick the torch in there and look, you do see a drop about six feet down a hole. And there's a muddy cavern in the bedrock below you. Uh, it's not super wide. It's a tunnel, I should say. Not not full on. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to be like, can we all fit down there? Yeah. Or it, it looks like a tunnel. Okay. So uh, I'll go first. I'll grab the bundle, lead it in front of me, and then I just sort of do a little... 
top down. And after Charles, who's going next? I'll go next. You have the gun. Take up the back. <laughs> take, up, take up the back. Let's shoot you, boys. Make sure we're not being followed. So you get down into this small tunnel that you actually can't even like stand up the full way in. You have to kind of crouch a little bit, leading the torch out in front of you. And the rock here is quite porous, so water that's seeping down through the dirt is actually then leaking through the porous rock and kind of dribbling into puddles, muddy puddles around your feet as you step forward and large uh, patches of clay like come off in your hand as you feel your way along the wall down the tunnel. And I assume you're just kind of following the directions on that map that you were given yeah it was based off of like where she pointed out the that was the area and then yeah just uh following the tunnel for not that far actually you do come to kind of a nexus point where several different tunnels meet um you do know from the map that you have that one of those tunnels does eventually lead to or the large cavern underneath the cemetery but this nexus point is kind of wider and you know this is the point that Dorothy and Gail had both mentioned as the place where they had hid out. Like looking around, is there any evidence of others um, in the area? The sheriff could make a experience to plus tracking, which is 8d12. All right, got him. 2, 8, 5, 9. 12, 8, 9, 7. You nailed it. So nobody except us an experienced tracker would be able to tell anything down here because there's water and mud kind of mixing together at all times. And who knows what kind of creepy collies live down here messing it up even more. But you do see in the mud there is a heel print from a boot that would have to be fairly recent. The direction points it down the tunnel that leads to the large cavern. What direction is it going in, Sheriff? The tunnel that leads to the large cavern. Of course. Is because this is the room where they heard the voice, is what I must write. Or, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'd try and do. I don't know. I was just kind of trying to do some like listening, see if there's any, if I can pick up on anything. Like, uh, are you listening for just like normal sounds or like ghost ghost, 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 or ghosty sounds? <laughs> so, insight plus scry. Okay. 11, 12, 9, 5, 1, 9, 5. Once you open yourself up to hearing that kind of sound, that reception, you hear screaming, ghostly screaming, but it's very quiet, almost if it's, if it's muffled, like somebody screaming from the other side of a door or something. Okay. Is there any sort of directionality to it or is it just like, I just hear like a... Uh, it, it also is coming from the large cavern beneath the cemetery. Okay, I guess we gotta go to the cavern. <laughs> it's where the bad stuff is. I know. I was just hoping we could avoid. No, no way. Okay. So you descend down this tunnel leading to the largest cavern, and as you are listening, you know, for ghosts, essentially, the screaming does start to become louder, but it is still muffled. And uh, eventually it reaches a certain point that Maeve can hear it too, even not listening for it. If you know to listen for a ghostly presence, you can hear it. To the sheriff, it sounds like there's wind is moving through the tunnel quite loudly, but you have no idea why there would be wind in this tunnel. And as you descend 
to the bottom of this tunnel that leads to the Larvis cave. This is another point where I'm going to put a time on something because I'm going to describe a bunch of shit. So you enter into this large cavern, which is as big and as wide as the cemetery itself, you know, a hundred feet by a hundred feet, very large. You had to descend down. So you had to look down at your feet so you didn't slip. And as you come to the bottom, stepping into this almost pool of clay that's covering the bottom. You see lying within the pool of clay, there's a bunch of tattered clothing and human bones. And it takes a moment for you to recognize the color of this clothing that you're looking at. But then you start to realize it's dark navy blue and the buttons were used to be highly polished brass. And then you start to realize these are Union soldier uniforms that you're looking at. And the bodies are just strewn all across the floor in front of you. And then as your eyes start to lift up into the middle of the cavern, you see that someone has been down here and they have been constructing something enormous. A bunch of metalwork extends out from the sides of the cavern, like the struts are pushed up against it. And it's leading up to a platform at the top of the cavern. Beneath the platform hangs a big metalwork. There is a orrery looking device hanging from it. Basically, what looks like planets are rotating around each other with a sun in the middle. But instead of a sun at the middle of this orrery is a human body hanging upside down, a fresh human corpse. And their skin on their back has been split open like the wings of an angel being held in place by hooks and chains leading up to the bottom of the platform. And there are a bunch of uh, needles and whatnot stuck into that person's back. In the dark, it takes a very long time for you to recognize who this person is hanging. Eventually, Maeve recognizes this person as Bartholomew Hughes as his body slowly turns on the orrery and he turns to face all of you. His eyes flash open and he says, help me. And that's where we're going to leave off this episode of Dice Try. Hot damn. Hi, friends. So this is normally the end of the episode where we do plugs and stuff like that. Unfortunately, we had a bit of a recording issue. So I am here to give all of that info real quick for you. First of all, for Earl Kim, you can follow him at Earl of Sandwich with a T on Twitter or Earl of Sandwich without a T on Twitch.tv. He does all his fun gaming stuff on Earl of Sandwich, but you can also check out his YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Saga, which is himself and Daisuke Suji, who plays Jin in Ghost of Tsushima, and they play games together. They have fun conversations with the cast and crew, and all those streams are put up either in edited forms or in their full unedited glory on YouTube. So you should check that out. For Krista Llewellyn, you should go to uh, her Instagram page first, Shop Rogue Etsy. That is links to her uh, Etsy page, which is Shop Rogue, and she sells masks and PPE equipment for either yourself or the makeup artists in your life to help protect yourselves during these COVID times. If you also just want to check out her makeup looks, you can go to her makeup Instagram page, which is Krista Llewellyn, M-U-A, M-U-A standing for makeup artist, which is something I learned far too recently. And then if you want to follow Paul, he is Paul Allen Dixon on Instagram, Twitter, and he told me as a TikTok, TikTok now, I 
I'm not on TikTok. You should check it out, though. He hasn't done any dances yet, from what I hear, but you should check him out. For GTM, our lovely audio engineer, he is at Japarican on all the things, Twitter, Twitch, and uh, Instagram. He is currently getting back into streaming. His schedule's still a little bit up in the air as he solves some things. He should be back doing some fun stuff again for you. And then I guess if you want to follow me, I am um, at Hemingway Light on Twitter and Instagram. Light is spelled L-I-T-E. And you can check me out there. I'm also on Twitch, but you don't have to watch that. And I thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And look forward to a special episode of this podcast coming out on Christmas Eve. We will see you then. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Dice Try. I'm your host, Daniel Schaub. And this episode's cast has included Paul Dixon, Earl Kim, and Crystal Llewellyn. This production has been edited by Gabriel Toya Melendez with special music provided by Glenn Davis. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dice Try Podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe and review. And we're traveling. <laughs> and I'm walking through New Nazareth. Here we're walking. <laughs> Left foot, right foot, left foot, <laughs> right foot, left foot, new Nazareth foot. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road.